I definitely come across people who are half dead every day, emotionally and spiritually. They've been beat up by the waves of this world, the lies that are told against them, the things that say you're not enough, your marriage is failing and it's all your fault, the things that say you need to fix yourself first before you come in and receive God's grace. All of these lies around them, they have been beat up and worn out and they're tired and they're broken and they're hurting. And I can be like this lawyer, so I do a pretty good job of loving my neighbor. Right? I'm not mean to them, I'm good enough. Or I can look to see their pain beyond, I'm good. So what's going on? And I can lend an ear. I can do an act of kindness or compassion because of their need. That's how we love our neighbor. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Go and do likewise. How how hard is it to hear that? Go and do likewise. I have to be really honest, I am a creature who loves to not do a lot. Like I know what I should do most of the time, but my nature is I would rather just do nothing and let somebody else do it for me. Have you ever been there before? I feel like I am more often than I wish to admit. This man comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Today as we continue in the art of neighboring, we're gonna look at this question, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I am supposed to love? Who is it that I'm supposed to give my time and my energy and sometimes my resources to? And this is a really important question because I don't think it's one that disappeared with Jesus' answer. I think for many of us, this is a question we still ask regularly, just maybe we phrase it differently. Am I good enough to the people around me? Like, I'm a pretty good person, right? Isn't that enough? Or maybe we say things like, well, I'm not a bad neighbor. I just don't know my neighbors, right? Like, I keep my lawn mowed neatly, and I'm always kind, and I wave friendly when they drive by or when I'm driving by them, but I just don't really know them, and that's good enough, right? See, the tricky thing about faith and about love and about Scripture is there's this principle in Scripture that's not unique to scripture. And the principle is this, it's found in Matthew chapter seven, maybe you've heard it before. All right, Matthew chapter seven, it says this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay, a couple of you are nodding and a few of you are still asleep. Cool, so whatever you want done to you, do to others. This isn't unique to Jesus's teaching. 
Like this is kind of a principle throughout the world that is thought of as just the standard of what is good and what is bad. If you don't want somebody doing it to you, don't do it to them. In fact, almost every major religion has some kind of golden rule like this included in their sacred texts. Almost every major religion and even philosophers a couple hundred years before Jesus said very similar things. Hey, just do to others what you want them to do to you. Now, the Christian version, this version in Matthew, it phrases it in the positive. This is what you should do to others. But sometimes it's not about what you should do to others, but what you maybe shouldn't do to others, right? And so most other uh, world religions and most other philosophers, they call this the ethical law of reciprocity, if that's how you pronounce that word. Uh, The ethical law of reciprocity is this idea of not just doing what you want others to do, but also just not doing what you don't want people to do to you, right? If you don't want somebody to cut you off, don't cut them off. And and they, they often treat this rule, this norm, as a pretty simple thing. It's a lot harder to do the right thing than it is to not do the wrong things, right? So let's just not do bad stuff and it'll be good enough. I feel for our neighbors most of the time, we look more to this silver rule that don't do bad things than we do the golden rule of do good things. Most of the time we look and say, well, as long as I'm just nice enough or friendly enough or I smile enough, as long as I'm not a real jerk, like, do I really need to do more? And unfortunately, in our culture, we can get by like that, right? Like, we can live pretty well by our own, by this principle, as long as I'm just good enough and I'm not mean and I I don't do anything terrible, it'll be fine, right? And yet... Even though almost every world religion and philosophy has some kind of do no harm to others, some kind of love your neighbor, some kind of command to be who you want people to be to you, we live in a world where love seems really far and few between. You don't have to look very far for people who are not doing to others what they would like done to themselves. I think you guys have seen enough Disney movies to know this, right? Like... If you don't have anything nice to say, our culture's filled with this command, but nobody follows it, right? Like how often do we say really hurtful things? And sometimes we say them in the name of love. I love you, but no disrespect. Man, you look bad today, right? No disrespect, but I really can't stand you. No disrespect, anytime somebody says I love you but, or no disrespect, just know that what's coming next is incredibly disrespectful and not loving, always, all right? We, we try to justify the things we say and we say and do all kinds of terrible things. And unfortunately, Christians aren't an exception. In fact, there's a lot of people around this world who would love Jesus if they saw him more often. But when they look at Christians, what they see is not a a bunch of people doing unto others what they would want done unto themselves, not a bunch of people loving their neighbor as their self. No, what they see is a bunch of people self-justified and self-righteous. I'm good enough as long as I'm not like you. Have you encountered those people? This is the man who comes to Jesus seeking an understanding. We find this in Luke chapter 10, that little video we just watched, the story of the good Samaritan. Perhaps you're familiar with it. 
In Luke chapter 10, this is what happens. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right off the bat, we should see this guy is not up to anything good, right? He stands up to test Jesus. Similar to last week, the one who said, what's the most important law? Now this guy stands up and says, hey, what, what do I need to do to be good enough? What's, what's just enough to fly under the radar? Teacher, teach me something. I think for many of us, we approach Jesus kind of like this man. I just want to learn how to be a better person from Jesus. Or maybe I just want to learn something good about living in this world. Or we approach scripture like it's got this perfect guidebook to if only I follow the right steps or say the right prayers, then I'll have the right bank account numbers, right? We treat Jesus as this teacher that we want to learn from. But that's not who he is. So Jesus, he responds. And he says, well, what does the law say? What is written in the law? How do you read it? See, if you're coming to test me, I want to know first, where's the starting point? Like, what are you trying to figure out in this test? What are you trying to get around doing when you ask this question? And the guy answers, and he answers like this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? Leviticus 19, what we talked about last week. The Old Testament summed up in these two things. Love God and love others. The very command Jesus gave to his disciples. To those who would follow, they will know my children by their love. They will know my disciples by the way they love one another. Do people know Christians today by the way we love? Or by the things we say? And the way we act? If any of you go out to eat today at a restaurant that's open and you don't tip well and I find out, let me tell you, it's not going to be good for you. Because unfortunately, if you work in the restaurant industry, as Carrie can tell you, uh, if you work in the restaurant industry, Sundays are terrible because the very people who are supposed to love are the most demanding and rude and tip the least. Why? Why are we like this? Well, this guy, he answers with the truth. He knows the right things. So right off the bat, we see when he comes to Jesus as teacher, he's not actually looking to learn. He already knows what he's supposed to be doing. But what we're supposed to be doing and what we do isn't always the same. The difference between I should have and I did is really big. But we're really good at shooting on ourselves, right? I should have done that, ah, maybe next time. I should have done that, maybe next time. And we live in this false sense of all these wrong expectations. I know what I should have done, but somehow the place between what I should have done and what I actually do never connects. And I should have loved better, but I didn't. It's okay, everybody else was mean too. I should have ignored that post or not said what I said. I should have done these things, but I didn't. So this guy, he answers correctly. He knows what he's supposed to do. Now the trick here is the question he asks, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Who among us can do these two things perfectly? 
Who among us can love God with everything and love their neighbor with everything? None of us. So right off the bat, answering these two things, he should have already known his question was flawed. You can't do the very things you're supposed to do to receive eternal life. But Jesus, he goes on. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. All right, you want eternal life? You want life everlasting? You want all the good that God has to offer? Just go and do what he told you to do. Everything will go well for you. But unfortunately, like this man, I think many of us, probably all of us at some time or another, answer with this question. But he, being this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus says, if you want this life that you know is found in following the law perfectly, go and follow the law. Go and love others. Go and do what you should. Okay, but who do I need to do that to, right? Like as long as I'm good to my family and nice to the people at the grocery store, that's good enough, right? As long as I'm good to my family and nice to my coworkers, that's fine, right? Like who exactly is my neighbor? Is it the people that I live next to or the people that I work with? Who do I need to love well? You see, the bigger the circle of neighbors, the harder it is to love them. Like, I can love one person really well even when they screw up and mess up. In my house, we have two rules. Rule number one is Laura's always right, and rule number two is when she's wrong, remember rule number one. And my son reminds me of that often, right? (laughs) In my house, we have this rule that my wife, she's not ever wrong. And we know that's not true. Sometimes she is, not nearly as often as I am. But sometimes. But I can pretty easily recognize I screwed up and I didn't love her well with her. But if I have to do that to my kids as well, or to my neighbors, or to my coworker, (laughs) or to you, or to the stranger on social media that says something I disagree with? Where do I draw the line? Surely at some point, my love for my neighbor will run out, right? So who do I say is most important? Who gets that love and who doesn't? This man desiring to justify himself, seeking to get off the hook, seeking to say, I've got it all figured out. I'm good enough. I'm loving enough. I don't need to worry about this anymore. Says, well, who's my neighbor? And oftentimes we do the same. And as long as we're good enough to the people immediately around us, we just forget about others. So if somebody somewhere else is really hurting, it's not my problem, out of sight, out of mind. If somebody nearby me is going through something but they say they're fine when I ask, then I just trust they're fine and move on. I don't need to dive in deeper and really walk through their pain with them, right? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus, in his wonderful way, doesn't answer the question. He tells a story and asks another question. In fact, if you read Jesus' words over and over and over again, he rarely answers questions. He just tells stories and asks other questions and lets the people answer them themselves. This is the story he tells. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which literally is downhill, like 
walking down a mountain about five or six miles. He's going from one place to another, presumably because he's going from Jerusalem. This hypothetical man presumably is a man of faith. Uh, somebody, a, a person from Israel, like somebody who belongs to the body of believers going from one place to another. And while he's going, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I have to tell you, my inner monologue is often movie quotes. So when I was studying for this and I read leaving him half dead, Prince's Bride came to mind, right? He's just mostly dead. You're lucky he's not all dead, just mostly dead, right? <laughs> Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By chance. It just happens that along the way, a priest was traveling because they do that too. And we don't live in a world that celebrates and holds priests to the same esteem that they were held back here. So let me tell you what this really looks like. The priests were the people of God responsible for being the mediator between the people and God. They were the ones whose lives were intended in every aspect of their lives from the things they ate to the way they shaved. Everything about their life was to point people to the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And this priest happens to walk by and see an almost dead a mostly dead, half-beaten man. Who should stop and help him of anybody? But this man, the one who knows the law through and through, the one who knows God's command to do good to your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself, the one above any of them who should have got it in a right. But he crosses the street and keeps going. He ignores him altogether. Now perhaps he had really good motive. This is a fictitious story. It's made up. So maybe, you know, we can fill in the gaps with whatever we want. Maybe he had good motives because priests weren't supposed to be around dead people. If they were around dead people, they became ceremonially unclean and then they were no longer able for a season to help other people connect with God. So maybe his thought was, if I go over there and then the guy dies... I can't for a season help people connect with God. And it's way more important that I do my task of proclaiming this good news and telling people of God's grace and his love, that's more important than helping this one in need. Sometimes we as Christians aren't that much different than this hypothetical man. Like as long as I tell you that you're loved and I tell you about God's forgiveness and I tell you that your problem is not your problem but it's really the sin in the world. Your problem is not the pain you're experiencing. It's really something else. As long as I tell you the right things, that'll be good enough. This priest, he passes by on the other side and leaves the half-dead man there. So likewise, a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. See, the Levites were the tribe of Israel, the people that had no inheritance in the land of their own. They were to be set apart, and not all of the Levites were the priests, but they were all to be set apart to be a holy tribe within the people of Israel that the whole body, the whole community of Levites demonstrated God's law for the people. The Levites were considered the ones who had it all together. They were pretty good and good enough. 
And this Levite comes along and sees him and just like the priest goes out of his way to avoid him. Surely you and I would never go out of our way to avoid those who are hurting, would we? But then in this fictitious story Jesus tells, there's a twist. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now this is really uncomfortable for the hearer at the time, this lawyer testing Jesus because Samaritans weren't just enemies of Jewish people. They were worse than that. See, hundreds of years prior, the Samaritan people who were at the time part of the tribe of Israel decided they didn't want to go down to Jerusalem any longer to worship there. Instead, they wanted to worship in their own way, doing it their way in their place, and Samaria became the capital of the northern kingdom. When the people of God split into two different groups, Samaria became the capital. And there in the capital, they began to practice all kinds of evil sin. They began to worship these other gods and celebrate these other religions and tolerate all these other things. And this was abominable to the Lord. Not only this, when they were then deported in exile, the kingdom that deported them actually imported people to intermarry with those who were left behind. They wanted to completely eliminate any sort of Jewish custom and culture there. So they began to intermarry all these others that new faith and new customs and new practices would begin to be the tradition that those who remained in Samaria later would look nothing like the Jewish people before. And so for a Jewish man to hear of a Samaritan was generations of hate and generations of believing this man is lower than the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst, and it has nothing to do with the things they have or have not done, simply who he is by virtue of where he's come from, this man is the problem. But Jesus paints this picture. A Samaritan passes by and sees this hurting one, and he has compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. See the picture Jesus paints? Here's the holy man, the righteous man, the one who had it all right. Here's the person who should have done the right, who knew the right thing, who should have acted in the right way. And neither of them do that. Whether for good motive or bad motive, we don't know. But now the one that was considered less than scum, worse of the worst, absolutely terrible, now the one who's not even considered to be part of faith, he comes along and sees this man and has compassion And doesn't just bind up his wounds, he takes him to an inn and he gives the guy some money and says, I will cover whatever else it takes to help this man. This is the story Jesus paints to the question, who is my neighbor? And then he asks this question back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to 
to the man who fell among the robbers? The answer is pretty obvious, right? Obviously the Samaritan. But I wonder for this lawyer when Jesus asked this question, if he knew a trap had been set. You see, for this lawyer to answer, well, obviously the Samaritan's the right person, he's admitting that the Samaritan was better than the priest. Ouch. Unfortunately, today we may need to admit that non-Christians sometimes are better than we are at loving our neighbor. We unfortunately have to admit today, like this man, that sometimes the people we think least deserve grace are better at showing it than we are. So the man responds, well, obviously the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says to him, you go and do likewise. Here comes this man who wants to justify himself. He knows all the right answers. He knows what he should be doing, but he wants to find a reason to say he's good enough. He's done it already. He doesn't need to love. Jesus says, go and be like this Samaritan. Go and show mercy. So what is mercy? I looked it up in preparation for today and two definitions stood out that I really thought we need to hear today. One definition is mercy is an act of kindness or compassion towards somebody in need. If you and I wanna learn to love our neighbors, we need to look to see the broken and the hurting and the pain and have acts of kindness and compassion for them. Now, most days, I don't come across people who've been beaten up and are left half dead, most of the time. Like I think of my life that's happened once or twice and thankfully I wasn't the only one who showed up. Other people were there and they were taken care of. I just got to be there for support. But I definitely come across people who are half dead every day, emotionally and spiritually. They've been beat up by the waves of this world, the lies that are told against them, the things that say you're not enough, your marriage is failing and it's all your fault, the things that say you need to fix yourself first before you come in and receive God's grace. All of these lies around them, they have been beat up and worn out and they're tired and they're broken and they're hurting. And I can be like this lawyer, so I do a pretty good job of loving my neighbor. Right? I'm not mean to them, I'm good enough. Or I can look to see their pain beyond, I'm good. So what's going on? And I can lend an ear. I can do an act of kindness or compassion because of their need. That's how we love our neighbor. Then this other definition of mercy is forbearance of a debt or forgiveness given to an enemy or a wrongdoer. See, if we want to be like this fictitious good Samaritan, if we want to do what Jesus has told us to do, to love our neighbors as ourselves, it must include intentional forgiveness for those who have wronged us, for those who are our enemy, maybe even for those who should know what is right, but who continue to do what is wrong. When it comes to loving our neighbors, who is our neighbor? Everyone who's hurting or broken or has a need. 
So my question for you today is, do you love your neighbor? I don't. But there's hope for this. You see, this man, he came to justify himself, but the whole story here is we don't have to justify ourselves. Christ has come for an enemy to do an act of compassion and kindness, something we couldn't do in our own brokenness. He has given his life for us that we might live. He didn't die to make bad people good, but dead people alive. And this new life he gives us by his death and resurrection empowers us to say, I don't know how to love, and quite frankly, I don't want to love. Teach me today to show mercy, to give forgiveness to the one who doesn't deserve it, to do an act of kindness to the person who needs it. Teach me to love as you have loved. This is our hope and our prayer. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Samaritan, this story you made up to teach us about love. God, you have given us neighbors who are hurting, those who live near us and those who live far from us, those whose experiences are similar to ours and those whose experiences are nothing that we can relate to. God, brokenness fills this world. Lord, we thank you that darkness trembles at your name, that where you go, light pours in and healing happens. Where you go, mercy is poured out for those who are desperately in need. God, may we receive that mercy, your act of kindness, your death and resurrection, and may we walk in mercy for those who are hurting. Teach each one of us today not to see that we've loved enough, not to say how much is enough, but Lord, instead say how much can we give? What is needed for those who are hurting? Where is their brokenness that we can restore God, teach us to be not like the Levite or the priest or this lawyer, but like the Samaritan, one completely unworthy of grace who's moved to compassion for those who are hurting. Thank you, God, for this time together this morning, for the things that you are doing. May you receive all glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship now, we're going to sing another song, and the band's going to come up and get ready for that. Normally, we pass offering buckets or popcorn buckets at this time, but uh, because we want to help keep you safe and healthy, and we're not going to pass those buckets, but they are available in the back. So if you're somebody who came prepared to give and you prefer to give cash or check, you can do so in those buckets when you leave later this morning. And if you're somebody either here in person or online and you prefer to give electronically, you can do so at thepointknox.com. Uh, remember this though, however you give and whatever you give, it's not to make him love you anymore, but because he already does. Thank you for partnering with us, supporting what God is doing not only in this place, but through us in our community. And thank you for trusting him in all things. Will you join me in the song as we sing once more? All right, so we had a couple of questions that came in, um, and I think they're really good and really hard, so thanks for stumping me. I'll give them to Emily. And, um, the, the first thing that came in was an 
audio technical thing for live stream. I don't know what it sounds like. We'll tackle that later and try to address it. As we're new in the space, we're testing and trying how to improve it every week. So if you know something about tech and would love to help us out, please let us know. Um, next, I've seen a tragic breakdown in some family relationships over the issues that are tearing this country apart. I've tried to stress that people need to look at all sides of an issue and most importantly love others as ourselves. These words have fallen on deaf ears with people I know to be devout Christians. I do not know how to help. We are living in a very painful time. Uh, and it's painful because no matter what your opinion is, you're probably right. And we don't have a country or a church that's willing to be wrong and willing to be humble enough to say maybe we screwed up. I don't care the issue, I don't care what side you land on, I think every issue we need to have the humility to say, maybe I'm wrong, help me learn. And for many of us in the church, that's not our first approach. And we have all the moral high ground and the reason to justify why we're right. Uh, and so it's really a difficult time right now. So how do you help those who, um, it seems to fall on deaf ears? Well, first I'm gonna say, don't try to help them on social media. You will fail. As a person who regularly forgets my own advice and tries and realizes that was a big mistake, don't ever try to help change somebody's opinion on social media. It's not your friend. <laughs> also, feel free to delete people on social media. It's freeing, right? Don't delete them because they have an opinion different than you. Delete them because you're like, you're not actually in my life and I don't actually plan on making you in my life. Like doing eight years of youth ministry, I recently went through because I found myself super stressed on social media and removed like 400 people that I used to teach in youth ministry like 10 years ago and I don't have a clue. Like did they go to school? Are they even alive? Like what happened? I haven't poured into them since and they haven't reached out. And you know what? That changed my social media. Also a good idea, but I was alluding to the, the idea that maybe social media is not your friend. Also, yeah, yeah, that too. So I would say don't try to change their opinion on social media. Second, if you want to help, don't try to change their opinion. Try to understand it more. What is it you want from them? Yeah. You want them to listen to you. So the only thing that you've got in your arsenal to, to even make those steps is just keep listening to them. There you go. I should just let him have all the tough questions. <laughs> Sorry, Emily, I threw him your way. Next time they're going his way. You're spot on. Yeah, listen and love. And you know what? It's okay if people wrong you. I don't want them to, but it's okay if they do. Because at the end of the day, you still have Jesus on your side and he won't wrong you. So it's okay to let their wrongs go. Sometimes just, just stop saying, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, but. I used to speak in such a way that everything I said was a but or a however or, well, also, and I learned from a friend, another pastor, he said, every time you say but, everything before it's just poop. And if you think about that, every time you say I love you but, what you're saying is I don't actually love you. What I'm about to say is more important. So keep that in mind next time you want to butt somebody. Um, next up. I was super excited when it was announced we'd start meeting again, but after the first week, I've begun to feel convicted about how we're handling the pandemic. We don't do temperature checks and we don't even require a mask. There's a huge number of people who aren't wearing masks. Uh, how can we say we're for the community when we don't even take basic steps to protect it? 
Well, first off, you and I can grab coffee or sit at a distance with masks on outside, and I'll talk to you personally about this anytime, because I can tell you this keeps me up at night. Uh, I can tell you last night, I spent a good 45 minutes texting another pastor in town saying, with the rising numbers in Knox County, do we need to consider reclosing? That's the last thing I desire. But I want you to be safe and I want the community to know that we care and I want to love. So this question is dear to my heart. So what steps are we taking? Well, I forgot my mask up here when I walked down and I realized it and then I thought it'd be weird to come back and get it. But you'll see we're wearing masks and while it's not required, we have them available so you can wear them too. And I encourage it. Do I like it? No, it's terrible. And if you have a mask and a beard, it's incredibly uncomfortable and itchy and, a, and hot. I hate it. But it's been said that wearing a mask helps keep other people from getting sick. So on the off chance that I might have COVID, I want to do my part. We have hand sanitizer in multiple locations. Rather than you getting your own coffee, it's being served to you so fewer people are touching the pots. Uh, if you notice, this week we did something different. We have some tape on some of the pews because we want to encourage you to sit a little further away to spread out. The truth of the matter is we are living in a time that the church hasn't ever lived in before. Yes, the church has lived through pandemics. And maybe COVID isn't as serious as some think it is. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But what I do know is, because of social media and how interconnected we are today, this pandemic is unlike any other pandemic in the past. Because in the past, your network of people you met with, most of them lived really close to you. Now your network of people just in this room live within a 40-mile radius of you. And so it's much easier for disease to spread than it was before. So are we doing everything we can? I don't know. But we're trying. And if you have ideas, we want to hear them. Uh, next, how do we best love people who continuously make it difficult to love them? I find it very difficult to be loving to people who only just want to argue that their lack of morality is the morally just position. Uh, must we love people who only desire to hate? Uh, I think very few people actually desire to hate. But many of us have been taught through our life experiences to hate. And the answer is yes. Yeah, and the answer is yes. Uh, do we continually love them? Yes, because the truth of the matter is you and I continuously hate God and don't do what he's told us to do and don't love him the way he's told us to love and he still loves us. So we do the same for others, and it's really hard, and we won't be perfect, which is why every single day our life of, as Christians is a life of repentance, saying, I screwed up, and I need forgiveness today. All right, we're starting over, the whole service. No. So do we keep loving them? Yeah, how? It's really hard. So do those three things we talked about last week. Practice humility, do something tangibly good, and see the value that Jesus has in them. See what he sees in them. At work, I feel like sometimes being kind to others means ignoring the things they do that are technically against policy or procedure. People often ignore it when someone mentions they're doing something wrong. When is telling on some or on others right or wrong in relation to loving others and enemies? In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about how do we love when we have to have hard conversations and say what you're doing isn't good. So I would first say... Um, 
at work, are they putting other people in danger? If doing something the wrong way puts somebody else in danger, absolutely stop them every time. If it's just an inconvenience or something you don't like, and you're not the one responsible for changing it or given the authority to change it, does it matter? I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. So pray about it and talk to the manager if it's really bothering you and you feel you must say something. Or maybe try to listen and see why they continuously do it the wrong way. Maybe the policy's broken and backwards and should be changed. That happens sometimes. That was a lot of questions. I'm sure many of you are hungry and ready to go tip like 200%. So I'll settle for 20, all right? Receive this, oh wait, two announcements, I almost forgot. Uh, how many of you have noticed we put down some mulch and it looks really pretty outside? Anybody? Okay, well, we did work, I think it looks pretty. Uh, we want to make it look more pretty, so if you'd like to join us next week on Saturday morning, uh, we're going to work outside and plant some flowers and clean up some more debris and do some more work outside at 9 a.m.? Yeah. 9 a.m. next Saturday, the 1st, so join us then. Or if you want to serve not for us, but for the community on Saturday the 8th, we're going to be serving at the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. We haven't done that much this year because of COVID, and they have some outdoor stuff there that they would like us to do to help them out. So we don't have a sign-up for that one yet because I forgot to tell Emily. We'll have a sign-up uh, by tomorrow at the latest. You can sign up to help on the 1st or on the 8th, uh, making a difference in the community. Now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Go and serve the Lord. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.